if a painter doesn't feel called to express themselves, say, through a certain subject, I don't, I think that's okay. You know, like I think people are really hard on themselves about that, that they don't have a subject. I'm like, well, then just focus on the formal elements and see what happens. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Lo-Fi Podcast. I am John Wentz, recording conversations with artists, musicians, and filmmakers from my flat in Paris, France. A few things before I get started today. Um, still in quarantine here in Paris and seeing that it's happening uh, rampantly across the rest of the world. A big hug and lots of love to all my friends in the United States and elsewhere. What I'm going to be doing for... This the unforeseen future with regards to COVID-19 and the pandemic is I'll be releasing two podcasts a week. Well, at least that's going to be the goal. And I think I'll be releasing Mondays and Fridays. And the idea behind this is I think it's a good time to talk with um, other artists and musicians about how they're dealing with the pandemic, how it's affecting their creative process and what they're doing to maintain some kind of normalization and continue to work through this. So hopefully it's something that at least keeps you company in the studio or gives you some kind of relief while we all try to um, look for some kind of end to this. Recently, I did a one-hour Instagram Live discussion, a Q&A, about Procreate and art practice in general. That went really well. So I've decided also that every Friday at 7 p.m. Paris time, I will be hosting an Instagram Live, uh, either tutorial slash Q&A. So I'm going to alternate one week. I'll be doing just a quick tutorial, maybe like a 30-minute demonstration on principles in Procreate, how I use the Procreate application working digitally. And then I'll alternate with um, just taking Q&As on the other Fridays uh, regarding anything um, that pertains to art. And I'm actually hoping to also bring in guests on this. So please tune in for that on Fridays, 7 p.m. Paris time. Also, this episode is brought to you by No Wave Academy um, at nowaveacademy.com. You've, maybe you've seen it already. They have an array of online instruction uh, workshops. Um, these are really great videos. You can study with artists like Nick Rungi, David Schiefitz, Paul Christina, myself, and many more. So use this code at checkout for 10% off, LOFI-10. That's all caps, L-O-F-I-10 at checkout to get 10% off. Um, it's a really great resource. I've viewed uh, a multitude of these videos myself, and I really walked away learning quite a bit. And it's something that I think that's great to do, uh, you know, to utilize this downtime we can better our craft. This week's guest is my good friend, painter, and teacher, Claudia Rilling. Claudia Rilling is a professional fine artist and teacher residing just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Her art is represented by Kim Eaglesmith Gallery in Mill Valley. Her current work consists mainly of florals and landscapes. These paintings are based on the relationships of planes, light, and color placed within carefully constructed compositions. 
Originally from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Claudia began studying classical drawing and design at the age of 16 and dedicated herself to learning these principles. Claudia graduated from Boston University's College of Fine Arts, where she further developed her drawing and painting skills. After college, she moved to Philadelphia, where she worked full-time for Anthropology Corporation as the assistant to the art department. Following this, she relocated to San Francisco to obtain her MFA degree in painting from the Academy of Art University. She maintains adjunct professor status with the Academy of Art University's online education program. Claudia also offers one-on-one instruction via Skype, which you can find on her website at claudiarilling.com, and I will also link in the show notes. In this episode, we discuss the coronavirus pandemic and its effects on artists, teaching in relation to one's own studio practice, the power of clarity in painting, and more. So without further delay, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Claudia Rilling. You can't even go there, huh? No, now, I think for like the first week, we sort of could. But the way France is doing this is really odd. Like we have to have a sort of permission slip and Uh download it from the internet. And then they have like three or four options of why you can go out. So one is to work only if it's essential food, you know, exercise or whatever day. And then you got to put the time on it. And so if you get stopped by the police, they'll be like, oh, no, you've been out over an hour. Here's a 300 (laughs) euro fine. Oh my god. Oh. That seems so European. Like I know, the, right? Like, the bureaucracy and Exactly. Yeah. The paperwork. Like, and then it really worked to their disadvantage because after um I don't even know if it was at the two week mark, uh-huh. uh an article estimated that half the police force uh contracted mm-hmm. the virus because of that. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, because they were out ticketing people and these yeah. people contacted or contracted the virus. Now the police force has it, so they lost half the police. Yeah, the NYPD as well. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. thing? Uh-huh, yeah. My uh-huh. God. Yeah. What's it like where you're at? Cause you're in what part of uh, Pennsylvania? I'm outside of Philadelphia. Out I'm of just Philly. in like a small town right now. And um, I would say that, um, um, hmm, I don't know, because everyone's had to isolate. So really my source of information as far as artists go and how they're doing is, you know, the internet um, and talking to a few painter friends. But, um, you know, we're on um, basically lockdown. We're not supposed to leave for anything other than essential uh, duties, pharmacy, uh, grocery store, caring for caring for someone who's ill for some reason, mm-hmm. um, unless they have corona, of course, uh, COVID. So, um, yeah, yeah. Like, but it's... Um, just uh, everyone is just expected to follow that social contract. Like they're not enforcing anything at this point. Like they're not ticketing people. Um, mm-hmm. Like today I'm going to go for a hike, um, you know, yeah, I'm going to get out. So that's mm-hmm. in isolation. That's not too bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I've been talking to some friends of the States and then keep up with the news and I, how is it in your area? Cause I've seen in so many places, people are just not uh, paying attention uh, you know, to the mandates of staying inside or even down to like, um, I, I was talking to my parents and they, they just moved to Manteca and the local church there um, is, uh, they're just holding services, you know, mm-hmm. they're saying this is ridiculous, you know, God will take care of it. Mm-hmm. And they actually hired a lawyer and they're mm-hmm. going to sue if anybody tries to shut them down. So there's so many people that aren't paying uh-huh. attention to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. What about yeah. in your area? Um, You know, I don't, I don't know to that extent. Like I have heard stories about churches, um, 
being insistent on running Sunday services. Um, other than that, all I know is like I do see a lot of people at grocery stores. Not everybody's practicing social distancing. And now they're saying, you know, we actually should be wearing masks um, for multiple reasons. Like one, like not only um, if you're sick, you won't transmit it. Um, you're less likely to transmit it. But also it also protects us from just like touching our face constantly. So there are some benefits to the mask wearing. So I see people doing more of that, though. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And but that's the thing too is I, I mean, I had to take a break from reading articles and reading the news. I mean, it's really making too. me anxious. Yeah, because you feel like even just on on the topic of the mask. I mean, I I understand like somebody described this as this is like flying a plane while you're still building it. You know, we're still in the air finishing the airplane, so they're trying to figure things out as it goes. Mm -hmm. But even on the topic of the mask, there. No, there's no agreement across the board with it. Cause I've read a lot of articles where like, actually that puts you more at risk in a way because people wearing the mask are more likely to fidget with their face because they think they're protected. So they're actually more likely to get it. Or you just see people like I've seen so many pictures of um, like people taking smoke breaks and they just pull their mask off and they're having a cigarette and they yeah. put it back on. Yeah. So they like, contaminated ah, so it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. can contaminate the mask like immediately. That's why they're reused. I mean, not reused. That's why they throw them away. You yeah, know? Yeah. So then if you use it once for an hour, then you have to like leave it to leave it for a few days until like any possible virus would die. And uh, so you can't just like use it over and over again throughout one day because then you're right. taking the virus putting it in other places and but you're so you have access to your studio you're going in and working still uh -huh. yeah, yeah 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 working nice. in your studio i'm teaching online the college that i teach for actually all the way out in lancaster um pcad they moved their classes online um so we're in our second week of online classes. That's so been like a huge transition. They're freshmen um, mm -hmm. and well, and juniors, but they're still like quite young and it's been such a shock to them. So um, yeah, but I've just been working from my studio teaching online. Yeah. And, and you were doing that a lot anyways, right? You were yeah, doing I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I've been teaching for the Academy of Art online since I left um, oh, okay. San Francisco. So um but the Academy of Art has a built-in platform, um, whereas like all these colleges, uh, art schools, especially that had to suddenly uh, move to the online uh, format, they had to start from square one, right, and try to like put something together. So we use, what are we using? We're using like Google Meet. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know a lot of people and Google Classroom. I know a lot of uh, schools are using Zoom. Mm. Um, yeah. But we're using Google Classroom and Google Meet. Oh, okay. So yeah. like you were saying, like the Academy, they don't, they don't have their own infrastructure, um, their entire own program server, all that? Nothing. Wow. Nothing. So we had to do it. All of like the adjuncts and the full-time professors, we, like, all, we just had to do it. We just had to just kind of figure it out together. They took one week off. Like they uh, canceled on-site classes and then took one week. And it was just like... It was very, very confusing how it yeah. was going to turn out. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think? Um, what do you? How do you see education then developing after this? Because I'm, I was talking uh, with a couple other friends recently too, and all, that are um, one guy's an MFA student, but he's doing his teaching, um, you know, at the same time. And I forgot where he's at. He's up in Syracuse, maybe around there. And they weren't prepared either. So I'm wondering, like across the board, what's going to be the, the effect on education? Do you think a lot of people are going to be preparing for this? Are we going to see changes in education? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to end up online now. And I think really? a lot of people who initially didn't never thought they'd, they'd be teaching online are going to see the benefits and the ease of it that they can work from home, work from their studios, maybe start their own thing, be entrepreneurs, you know. And uh, I, well, that's yeah. what I think is going to happen. I think it's become it's going to become a very competitive market. How so? You've been teaching. That means what well, you've been doing a couple years online for the academy, or longer than that? Eleven years. When I first started teaching for the Academy of Art on site in San Francisco, you know, yeah. they gave me like my first, you know, like college, uh, I think it was still like painting, the one that you helped me with, the oh, okay. still light painting class. And then they said, and we're also going to give you an online class to teach. So like in conjunction to learning how to teach college on site, they also were always giving me an online section. So I've been teaching online for a long time. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Do you have a preference? Oh, oh, on site for sure. On site's always better. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, now it's become fun because um, with my like I teach privately through Skype. Um, Skype is just what I've been using. Um, I know um, it's like this big topic. Like everyone's talking about Zoom. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've been teaching um privately and I do demos. So that's really fun. So I've started to now actually really love. Um, teaching through Skype or Zoom, whatever it is, um, because it is actually really interactive. And like in like a one hour, you know, one hour lesson, I can, you know, give a student a critique of their current work and then also do a demo. And it, it, it's pretty thorough. Yeah. You teach online privately, right? Amazing. Um, so I sort of, it's more of uh, what I'm doing is like a mentorship. So through uh, Kevin Moore, and you know Kevin. Yep. Mm -hmm. He started uh, doing this. It's more of a project, it seemed like. There's an app called Voxer. Are you familiar with Voxer? I'm not. It's, I don't understand it. I mean, it's basically WhatsApp. I don't know, something WhatsApp light. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you, you can just uh, use it as like a walkie-talkie or just leaving messages. So the I whole idea behind his platform is basically you're doing um, critiques. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm working with somebody right now, and he'll just post things, and then I'll do a little recording or something like that. And then we're kind of evolving it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And we're yeah. figuring out little ways to do things. Like, um, he, luckily, the, the person I'm working with right now, he has a background in cinematography. Mm -hmm. So he'll film himself painting, and then he timestamps it. And then I'll go and I'll watch it. And then I can comment, like, hey, at, you know, three minutes, the way you're handling the brush here, maybe you should try this. And it's oh. it, pretty interesting. It's got me thinking about different ways to do it. I've never thought about that. That's interesting. I okay. never thought of it either. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like, I want to collaborate with him a little more because his background in cinematography is really, really helpful in doing these things. Oh, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He probably has a great way. Yeah. A little like extra camera setup. Like, yeah. I, that's one thing I want to figure yeah. out, like how to have like my laptop and another uh, video camera. Um, oh, okay. What are you using when you do the demos? Are you using the camera off the laptop? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like it's been <laughs> pretty good so far. Like, can you see, like, for instance, like, like, can you see this? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, you're so holding like, up a canvas panel. Yeah. I'm just like painting like this close uh -huh. so people can see pretty well. Yeah. No, yeah. That's perfect. What are the big differences for you? Because it, it was interesting for me to come back to teaching. And then to do it this way, just online, not in person. I mean, I've done, like, in the last year, a few workshops. Mm -hmm. And I find I, I actually I don't like it. I don't like teaching in person. 
I think I've become like too nervous or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you're such a good teacher, Zad. Oh my god, thanks. I don't feel like it, but I, I just, I don't know. It's really, don't you find like, um, maybe this is my perspective on it, but teaching in person, like every student, it, it, it's how would I, how would I word it? It's immediate problem solving on multiple levels. Not only are you solving this, the problems a student might be having, but how the student is as a person, how the reaction, maybe I would think too much about it, but you know, like some people are more receptive to direct uh, communication. Some people, you got to softball it a little bit, like what you're doing. So, it, I mean, it's so exhausting mm-hmm. teaching a person. Like if you have a class of 20 people, mm-hmm. you know, I don't yeah. know. Is that just me? What's your experience? Yeah. <laughs> you're looking oh. at me like I'm crazy. Oh. oh my gosh. Are you, Oh my gosh, Don. Yeah. The first, like maybe, six or seven years I was teaching, I was always exhausted. Like I would just come home and stare at a wall, like for the rest of the night, you know, like the Academy of Art classes that were 8.30 to like 2.50. Like, you know, you break down, you get home. I feel like I I can't do anything. It's so much work. It's so tiring. Um, So I would say that, yeah, like you definitely, it's a very, it's very emotional. It's very psychological. Like you can't just say, like, you can't just go in there with like a heavy hand and like, you know, say anything you think about someone's painting. Um, I think if you want to do that, um, you're going to have to branch off and work for yourself um, because there are teachers who believe in that and um, that philosophy of teaching and they have their own school. You know what I mean? I'm immediately um, thinking of Myron as you're saying uh, that. Of course, right. You kind of know um, what, what kind of person I'm talking about. Yeah, like Myron, yeah. you know, like he says, and he can say anything he wants, and um, he makes it very clear very early on who he is and what his teaching philosophy is. But yeah, I mean, in general, yeah, you do. You have to figure people out. I mean, if you have students for a semester, um, um, you know, like some people are sensitive, some people are um, – um, or I wouldn't even say sensitive, but they receive and they're receptive to different modes of communication. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want me to take their brush and do anything. Like they don't want me to touch their painting, essentially. Um, some people, so I always ask for permission. I say, do you know, do you mind if I, right, right. if I, you know, show you how to do this or show you how to make some marks? Um, so yeah, everyone's different and you do have to be really um, delicate yeah. Yeah. How, mm-hmm. how do you approach? Because um, I didn't know. I think it was the last time we were talking when I found out you were doing the um, the private studies. Mm-hmm. So how do you approach that? What's like? Do you take all levels? Do you go like start wherever they want to do what their interest is, or are you mm-hmm. focusing on what you're doing? Because you're doing mostly now like landscapes, plein air, and floral work. But I know you can paint pretty much anything. So how mm-hmm. do you structure that? Yeah, I people I will work with people at any level working from any subject matter. Um, I'll work from, I'll work with people who are trying to figure out how to paint really realistically or people who are painting pretty abstractly. Um, I just try to figure out what their goals are. Like, you know, I, I, I have them initially just send me like a really bullet pointed list, um, what they're striving to do and like what painters are looking at. And it's just a very, uh, kind of casual mentorship so they can meet me with nice. me as much as they want or as infrequently they want a little bit more structure. I ask them and I'll provide that for them. Um, so it's, it's very, it's very individual. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a pretty open-ended mentorship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are people I've been working with for a couple of years, or sometimes people will just work with me um, for a couple months and that's it. They just want a little like boost. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, mm-hmm. I'm finding a, having a really hard time getting my brain in social mode because I've been, I, I don't yeah. know how you're dealing with the confinement. I was fine for the first like two weeks, but we have a very small flat mm-hmm. and I'm in this very small room because she has to work in the other room. Mm-hmm. So I'm isolated in like a 10 by 10 room for about 12 hours a day. I mean, it's prison. It's literally like prison. prison. So I have yep. a hard time switching modes into like, oh, I get to talk to a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's funny. I think we had an opposite experience. Like for me, like the, the, the first week and a half was awful. I could not concentrate, couldn't do anything. And then I got into really? Yeah. Then I... I, I think I went into the acceptance acceptance stage, like maybe when the quarantine was extended. I'm like, okay, I am totally fine with this situation. I don't mean long term, but like for 30 days, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. And then I was able to focus and become productive. But So what yeah. was it initially then that kind of triggered you? It felt like total chaos. Everything unknown. No. In total chaos, especially when like uh, PCAD at the college in Lancaster, when they suddenly ended their classes. And then I teach for an art center um, near Philadelphia um, and then they closed. And then it was just like, you know, that like just it was so depressing. Um, yeah. So it took me. Yeah. It took me probably like 10 days to get my bearings. Wow, that's a long time. Did mm-hmm. you just dive back into work? Like, what gets your mind off of it? Mm-hmm. Work has been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, yeah, like <sighs> painting, uh, painting. And like, I, I committed to a solo show next March. Oh, that'll so, do it. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, okay, well, like, I guess the, you know, the silver lining for me right now is that I've been like really craving painting time. I've been teaching like this semester, like, I think seven, uh, seven courses a week. And then, um, wow. and then a lot of private students too. So I just haven't had time to paint like, or I do it, but like, it's very like PC, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so I am just trying to take advantage of this time. Really. I yeah. never have this kind of time to paint. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see like, um, cause I know for me, I was kind of the same way. Like the first couple of days were pretty bad for me. But I, a lot of that too is like jumping online, jumping on Facebook, you know, and seeing everybody panicking and then buying toilet paper and whatever that yeah, whole yeah, thing was about. Yeah. But I also found it interesting how people, it seemed pretty binary how people dealt with it, just with regards to artists. And I'm still kind of seeing this, like some artists um, com- feel completely paralyzed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, I can't work, I can't do this, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then others, it was like, the great distraction. Like, I'm just going to dive into work and not think about anything, mm-hmm. you know? So you definitely, you're in the, the work and distraction group. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. And like, yeah. okay. And I guess I could also liken it to this. So I work, I paint best, I would say either in the evenings or the weekend when like the world has quieted down. So this is like yes. one long weekend. Yes. <laughs> I do. Right? I forgot who I was talking to. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about that the other day because you know, of course, most artists have been saying through this whole thing, like, oh, it's just normal life for me. I'm always alone. But I noticed like about a week into it, because I've been doing the same thing. Like I set a goal for myself to just produce a piece of work every day. And one day I was working, I'm like, this is the calmest I've felt in months. And I realized it was that exact same thing. I'm like, finally, the rest of the world 
is on my level. Like everything stopped. Like I, a lot of the anxiety I would have before that was because I'm trying to stop and slow down, mm-hmm. but the world is going so fast. Yeah. And especially living in a place like Paris, it's noisy and this and that. Mm-hmm. So it's so funny. It's like, okay, the world's on my level now. <laughs> I, it's like, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you find, um, cause something too that popped in my head coming back into this is how teaching can affect your art on multiple levels. Like it, it, it affects, um, not just the time of your art making, mm-hmm. but even your approach, your, your whole studio practice. Mm-hmm. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, I think, uh, like, I mean, like, I love teaching so much, and I feel like sometimes it's a little bit too busy for me. But I'll, uh-huh. but I think, like, especially recently, I since I've been teaching, like, a semi-abstract uh, painting approach, and I have to really show people how and why you break down subject matter in a certain way and like where to lose information and why and like and then bringing it back to like historical information and like art history and like the ancient frescoes and like how people initially just like conveyed information with simple shapes what like so basically what I end up doing is I end up teaching myself a lot mm-hmm. and I'm like oh all right like this this is how you know this is the reason for doing that it clarifies things for me Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, because you have to like, I mean, like teaching well is about clarity, you know, the conveying clear information. So then I think it, I think it helps me in my practice. Um, sometimes it scatters me a little too, because like the more like research I do for, for, for classes, uh, my interests can also start to deviate. I'm like, oh, 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 wow. Now I'm teaching this. Oh, actually I want to explore this more. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you, how do I word this? Because another thing, and I wrote you about this, another thing I'm finding is, because after not teaching for so long and just working, I've lost a lot of, um, it's not even the vocabulary. I can't even put my uh, put uh, words to it, but I've lost a lot of ability ex- to explain art, I think, to people. Mm-hmm. What difficulty, do you have any difficulties like that within teaching? Like, what do you, what's the, the hardest thing for you to convey to a student? I think one thing that I've been trying to figure out is like teaching a really strong foundation and then saying, but then you have to break all the rules and here's why. <laughs> <laughs> like give me an example, like I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but like what, what would be one of the rules? Um, gosh, for, for instance, maybe talking about like a split complementary uh, col- color, uh, an a- analogous split complementary color color palette right and how like that is like you can work so beautifully so beautifully and then i'm like wait no actually just go with your instincts you know but (laughs) but know this you know but no but it should be intuitive really but do this a lot first but then it should be intuitive and you should like look for the color that excites you and ignore everything else yeah you know so yeah like that's just one example yeah what do you is it's interesting that you pick color. Is, do you think color is one of the most difficult things to convey? I would imagine it would be composition because I feel like composition is the most nebulous. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, perhaps composition uh, as well. Um, I feel that a lot of people don't want to learn composition. So I focus probably on it a little less in the formal sense that we were taught and more about kind of general shape orientation. Um, but I would say color... Oh gosh. Yeah, the, those two are kind of tough. 
um, I feel like people either, a lot of people have a really, really amazing natural color sensibility, Mm -hmm. but not a lot of people have a very, very natural, uh, composition sensibility. I feel like composition is not intuitive. Um, there is some intuition that goes into it, but all of like, you know, you know, I just know when I was taught composition, um, how kind of hard it was for me to learn to teaching people composition. It just, it's not, I just don't think it's intuitive. Um, and I think color can be a little bit more intuitive and it's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas why that might be? And it's, the, the only reason I ask is I, I find that interesting because I don't know your experience, but for me, most people, they'll say the opposite. They're like, you always hear like, I have a natural sense of composition. Hmm. I think it's the one thing people are, feel the most confident about. Hmm. I agree that with you, though, that it's, it's usually not the case. <laughs> yeah. I think good composition definitely takes a, a lot of a lot of thought, a lot of care, and a lot less intuition. Yeah, yeah. And I think it depends what your goals are compositionally. I mean, when you start to, like, I don't know, analyze, like, I don't know, like a Poussin or something, you're like, oh, my gosh, everything is beautiful. Everything yeah. is intentional. I'm sure there's some intuition that go that goes into, like, the composer's paintings like that. But um, I think that kind of formal composition is absolutely unintuitive. I think humans have a definitely a natural um, sense for, you know, spatial uh, um, arrangement, you know, um, um, oh, having something small and something large and something bright and something dull and complex and quiet. Um, I think some of those basic things are very intuitive. But when you go to kind of that next level, um, it's just not. I mean, that's why it's taught. That's why people train to learn that. I think like the more formal approach to composition is absolutely unintuitive, but then we all have like a natural, like people who are really uh, very artistic tend to have a natural general compositional sense. Yeah. Maybe things balance. Right? And... Like, yeah. Yeah. Like balance. Yeah. I know. No, but I mean, that is one that's like balance, like, like everything about us, everything about nature, our bodies, what we do, everything is kind of done in balance naturally. Um, like, yeah. And then like the UNO glow that we were talking about, uh-huh. like yeah, yeah. that, you know, like what makes his paintings really good. Like I pulled out his book and I was like, oh, did you? yeah, I really wanted to pick your brain on that. Cause I felt it was so, I don't know. Sorry. I'm so at a loss for words and I'm being locked up, but when, cause we were going through, um, when I was talking to this guy, like I, I introduced him to some basic ones and then he's like, Oh, I've been hearing a lot about Uglo. So we're talking about, it. I'm like, man, he's the best. And then it, he just showed me, he's like, why? I'm like, man, I can't put words to it anymore. I'm so out of the practice of explaining why I find something amazing to somebody. So I thought, okay, maybe Claudia can do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're so much better with words, but also because we've talked a lot about Uglo. Um, and I think it's a painter yeah, that we yeah. both appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I think in his work, um, I think he is someone who is really interested in the very traditional formal elements of composition. So a lot of the shapes you'll see that he uses are classic pyramids, mm-hmm. upside down uh, 
upside down pyramids. Um, he takes organic forms and he translate it, translates it into straight lines. So he's like, he's changing the uh, kind of chaos of nature into something that we can like, is very tangible that we can really understand. And then he's composing everything with such clarity. So even though there are like a lot of fussy little, no, actually I wouldn't say fussy, that's like so negative. I would say even though there's so many like little areas and, um, and a lot of specificity, there's a lot of imperfection too. But then the imperfection is balanced by like such clarity. Like there's nothing unnecessary in, I would say, almost all of his paintings, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, like you look at it and it's just so clear what it's about. Like remember the duck, like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. duck? Yeah. Like that sweep, it's one sweep. It's like um, it's like three values. It's like so clear. The planes are so simple. There's no fur. There's no eyeball. Like he has like pared it down to its essential elements. And then like the negative spaces are so beautiful. So the negative to the positive. And then you bring in like the color, yeah. you know, the color. Like I think even just adds to the clarity of his work. Um, like very they're very pure like the color so clean um sometimes he uses a lot of neutrals but i would say overall clarity yeah that's a great way to put it very classical too extremely classical yeah in what ways would mm -hmm. you say um the way he uh works with shape tones edges um Again, like that kind of like, uh, it seems like he really plays with formal ideas. Like he takes like a really formal classical idea and then makes it very contemporary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was actually yeah. reading a quote recently and they were, um, I don't think it was by Ugo himself, but it was kind of alluding to that, how his paintings, to paraphrase, it's it's just so the fat is completely trimmed off of it and mm -hmm. even down to certain marks that could be just perceived as a scumble were actually very very mm -hmm. intentional there's nothing gratuitous yeah. yeah who else do you go to like when you're when you're ex trying to um you know when you're teaching composition to students who are your go-tos uh for painters that you advise them to look at I try to keep it interesting. So like I'll bring in contemporary people that may not have any name for themselves, really? you know, and then I'll, I'll like show, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I might say it show like a Franz Klein. Like I love the elegance and simplicity of those. And then I'll compare that maybe to like a Busan, like who I mentioned yeah, yeah. earlier and like how like those essential elements are the same in both. And then, uh, you know, uh, after studying with the Jerusalem Studio School, you know, became more interested in the ancient frescoes and Piero della Francesca, and like I'll 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 bring in examples like that because the shapes are so clear. So I think that um, shapes shapes are so important, and I think they're easy to understand initially. Like, say someone has no background, you can just start to talk about how large the shapes are, how complex they are and where they're placed without getting into thirds or fourths or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, I mean, I'll talk about people like, uh, I don't know, like Susan Jane Wop, a still life painter. I really love. Yeah. You introduced painter. me to her. I love her work, man. I love yeah, her work. It's, 
so good. It's so good. Like, oh gosh, so sensitive, so personal, but also like paying so much homage to like our history. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. Does that oh, answer yeah, your yeah, question, absolutely. John? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Is uh, Piero della Francesca, is that a new one for you? Because I I'd read that recently in something that I don't know if it was one of um wasn't an interview you did maybe it was like your uh, like a syllabus or something like that but I hadn't heard you mention mm -hmm. his name before right and I just found yeah. that interesting I mean, because like, I remember the, yeah. the only we've we've talked about like Mirandi Degas uh, Uglo but never yeah. Piero de la Francesca yeah it's funny because he's one of those people like you know you learn about in college in our yeah, history yeah. class and then nobody ever brings him yeah, up again it's usually like the first week and then <laughs> of our yeah hero and then you know and then our history class they also like breeze right over all the major people you actually end up looking at as a painter yeah. so like years later it's like uh, you know like so so when I guess maybe it was like, yeah, maybe four years ago, um, the emphasis on like Piero and the uh, Pompeian frescoes, I saw how important that they are and how all painters are like in some degree referencing, um, referencing like Piero, the old frescoes, everything mm. is just kind of a, a lineage of uh, language. Um, it's all just this continuity. Mm -hmm. um, and they're sort of these, well, they're exquisite and they were produced a very long time ago. So it's like, you don't even need to look at anyone else really like they're kind of doing everything so beautifully at that point, like Piero, the, uh, it, it, you know, the frescoes in Pompeii, um, anything like that. Um, there is like what they're doing is so timeless. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, like such clarity, like if you look at you and Uglo's work and then you look at like, I don't know, Piero della Francesca, you can like really There's see a, lineage a connection there. Yeah, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So what effect does so, that have on your work? What do you draw from those? Clarity. I think for me, so much about is clarity and like, and like being willing to, a lot of the relationships are very bold too, like intense, bold, bright, um, being willing to just leave those really strong relationship, it, relationships in my painting and not worry about what I'm painting, uh -huh. like just continually focusing on the relationships the clarity, the strength, like where my brightest color is, how that looks next to like the other shape, regardless of what I'm painting. Mm -hmm. um, so there was, um, that really... I'd, I'd heard you say, what was it? Was it a Monet quote on another oh, podcast? Yes. Yeah. What's that quote? A painter can say all they want with fruit or flowers. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that I think that thing. says yeah, it all. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is that you're painting. Doesn't really so matter. That's your pro. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. I think it can matter. I'm not saying that never matters, but I don't like if if a painter doesn't feel called to express themselves, say through a certain subject. I don't. I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think people are really hard on themselves about that, that they don't have a subject. I'm like, well, then just focus on the formal elements. 
and see what happens. Um, So I think there's just such a rush to establish an identity, um, a subject-based identity for painters. I don't think... um, I think more than ever. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you see that same trend? I mean, it's always, I think there's been a funnel effect, and I've ranted about this before, but I feel like with the current state of art and and social media's influence on art and the internet's influence on art in terms of like branding, um, people have had to kind of create that funnel effect and find your one subject, your one thing that you're going to paint. Do you see that as somewhat of a negative then? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I try not to judge anybody. So I think that like everybody has their path that they have to forge. Mm -hmm. So, so, so if, if like, you know, you, you know, for a fact, like, your career needs to follow like a certain trajectory and you're going to do like, you know, um, I don't know, like very classical still life paintings. And that's how you can get into X, all these galleries and that's how you can sell very consistently. And then the gallerists know what to expect of you. Like, I think that's completely fine. Um, I don't really, I don't, I'm not a black and white thinker like that. Like, I think I have a, like, People are complicated and everybody has different needs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but for those people who don't have to do it, um, like don't do it. You know, don't feel like you have to just because you see a lot of people on Instagram with a lot of followers because they are doing the same thing over and over again doesn't mean you have to. I think people have to be really honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I think it's interesting too because it's even outside, like there's definitely, like you're saying, that, that, pressure from social media for people to do it it's so mm-hmm. much noise out there that to be so the signal mm-hmm. you have to do that but it's been kind of weird to me in the the last few years like like for instance where we went to school like a place like the academy it was not weird and, and in fact it was encouraged then to your body of work would be a mix of landscape still, it was that very classical sense like a lot of great artists mm-hmm. had their landscapes their still lives their figure work Oh, right. So, I mean, you know, I can't speak for galleries, but um, I think think a good gallerist is going to be very educated Mm -hmm. and they're going to know that fantastic uh, artists um, who have the same language of paint from painting to painting um, will have a cohesive body of work. Like the work should all, will still the, the painting will still speak to one another and it still will hopefully the goal would be that if you are experimenting with a lot of different subject matter that your language of tone color shape it's so consistent throughout that it only makes your solo show that much more exciting mm-hmm. like I get so excited when I go into a show and I'm like seeing like, okay, like they're doing this and this and this. And I turn the corner and there's maybe a grouping of small works that are of a different subject matter. Oh, yeah, it is so exciting yeah, yeah, yeah. for me. me too. Um, so, I mean, that's what I'm going to continue to do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You know? But now that you're starting for a solo show, do you, I mean, you don't want to give away too much, but how... Well, one, that actually there's something I wanted to talk to you about. Sorry, my brain's all over the place. Do you have a focus yet? Do you know what you're going to be working on for the show? Yeah, good question, because I've been grappling with that. Because uh-huh. um, I don't want to, it, you know, I'm not a formula painter. Yeah. So I can't just take like one image and just like do it in 25 different colorways or something. You know, like, I mean, that's kind of an extreme. But um, 
So I've been just producing and producing and producing and hoping that it all comes together (laughs) and that if I have enough pieces, I can whittle down and like select the 20 best. So I've been doing landscape, some cityscape, some floral. Okay, nice. That's what I'm doing. And like, you know, I have lists, like you can probably see my studio wall back there. All the notes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I have all of my lists, like all of my ideas. I just jot them down there. And yeah, I mean, I'm really concerned about the the cohesive issue. Um, But I just know that if I force myself to do, if I force myself into a series of like 24 by 24 inch paintings that are all landscapes based on Italy, I think they'll lose their vitality. Mm-hmm. So I I want to respect the gallery's need for uh, you know cohesion, but with so when I do so okay, so what I'm trying to do when I am working with like my like florals, I'm thinking of them in relationship to my other other pieces, and I'm also telling myself, you know you like, this is just a year. Like you Mm -hmm. just work on this stuff for a year, like, you know, and then deviate afterwards if you need to. Um, yeah. Do you have any, um, strategies in terms of like one finding cohesion? Like for example, um, I just, uh, did a a podcast with Emilio who worked. Yes. It was so good. Yeah. He's, I love talking Uh to Emilio. Um, yeah, I know that uh-huh. my my guests now are getting so insular in my little circle of now it's just friends that I'm in. But it's so great because I'm <laughs> yeah, like, man, right, right. I started to realize like, I, uh, man, I know so many amazing painters. Like, you know, Emilio, uh-huh. I know you. This mm-hmm. is so great. Um, and he said something that I hadn't really thought about because I, I guess I never put for myself that much. I don't want to say I didn't put thought into the cohesion, but I just find when I have an idea, I guess it just becomes cohesive. But in his process, he was talking about because he's working differently now in a different space, and that before mm-hmm. he would finish a painting, put it on the wall, and then as he's painting, he can kind of put them all up one by one, and as he's going along, you're seeing if there's cohesion, if you're slipping this and that. But now, because of circumstances, he has a different approach. Have you developed any of your, your own approach, your own way of, of handling something like that with a bigger show? Wait, what was his different approach? Well, Sorry, now he's to. saying, well, I guess it's it's almost a non-approach because <laughs> he's yeah. saying this place is so small, he has to, um, he can't even look at the paintings while he's painting. Yeah, that's what I remember. So, right. He's like, he's like five feet yeah, like, yeah. of space. Yeah. The painting. So he's yeah. doing it more in his head in a way. And every once in a while, he can kind of look at them, but you're not having that benefit of seeing them in a bigger open space. Like if you, the studio, your yeah. size, you can put your whole show up and maybe and kind of gauge it. Mm-hmm. But do you have any approaches yeah. like that? Or do you just kind of go on one by one? Yeah, I have, um, I have an app for that. Really? <laughs> oh, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> the cohesion app. <laughs> How amazing would that be? Yeah. It has like a, a yeah. filter on it or something. It'll change. Yeah. This is the way it should look. If it's going to be crazy. And this one, this way, this one, this way. <laughs> That's your entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, totally. For sure. (laughs) I'll get right on that. Um, So I am, okay. So when, so I haven't done a solo show because I was teaching a lot and I felt much more comfortable just doing smaller shows. Uh Um, I think part of it is, you know, it's, it's a time thing. You're always given like a pretty limited amount of time and 
and I wasn't, I didn't want to force myself into like a really, really tight series. Um, so I guess what I'm, what I'm doing, um, for cohesion is making sure that there's some, I mean, one is like kind of like the, just the tonality, um, of the work, making sure that there's kind of like in a tonal relationship to everything. So I'm just, I'm just really focused on like the, the kind of the more the foundational issues. Um, yeah, it's hard to say, John, because I'm, it's definitely something that I'm kind of in the middle of right now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, like, how am I going to figure this out? Um, and sometimes my own feedback like my view of my work is different from outsiders view of my work, just something I'm learning too. Uh -huh. like, I'll think that there's no cohesion. And then I'll have like painters who I really respect and who show a lot say, Oh no, like these pieces totally speak to each other. Like they are very cohesive. So, you, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, yeah. that's a good answer. How much do you, you, I don't want to say rely. How much do you seek out? outside opinion now on your work because that's something another they like i don't know why i've mm -hmm. kind of gone through this um period now of oh well i do know why maybe it's because i'm stuck in france where without all my friends <laughs> but i've just been thinking about i miss that dialogue with other artists and how much i learned about my own work from talking with friends mm -hmm. about it how much of an effect does it have on you and your work and how much do you i don't want to say again it's not rely on it but you know Seek, seek it, it out, out. Or, or yeah or how just how yeah. important is that to you yeah i think it depends on the person um like it depends what question i want answered to so like if i wanted to know if uh someone felt my work was really cohesive if i'm like okay do you think these 10 paintings are speaking to each other like i would definitely ask the painter like someone who is experienced yeah. um like I was teaching for the JSS this past summer and I got a lot of feedback there because Israel Hirschberg asked me to give a, like a slide lecture presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was very self-conscious about it because I didn't feel like my work was cohesive. And I, and I kind of brought that up, um, during the slide pr presentation, not to be self-deprecating, but just to be very honest. And I got a lot of feedback from painters I really respected that they're like, you know what, your work actually really, all of the paintings are really speaking to each other. And I think you're being much too hard on yourself, Interesting. like much too self-deprecating. Um, so I, I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, I feel like I spend so much time like being somewhat self-deprecating, if not a lot. I mean, you know, we all have our good days. Mm -hmm. But I'm um, feeling like, yeah, like none of it makes sense. Like what I did two years ago, what I did two months ago isn't, you know, nothing's working. Nothing's coming together. Um, so I got a lot of good feedback that made me feel, I think, a little bit more confident to not feel like I have to have for this next show a formula show. Mm -hmm. That I can be a little experimental mm -hmm. um, as long as I'm working with the same language. Right, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um yeah. I, I hadn't asked yet. Uh, is this mm -hmm. this is at Ellen's Eaglesmith? Yeah, okay. uh-huh. This is at Ellen's Eaglesmith. So um now it's just uh Kim Eaglesmith and he moved oh, the gallery okay. a few months ago during the winter. Um to Mill Valley. Oh, okay, okay. 
Um, Are you gonna be? So you'll be and, there for the show next in March. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. So they're they are there now, and apparently Mill Valley has become a nice little gallery scene. Nice. So it might be a pretty good. Yeah. Might be a great place. I'm yeah. going to be in the U.S. in March, so I'm going to go to your show because oh, I have a show in awesome. March too. That is so cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny, John, because, yeah, you were at my my student show at the Academy of Art like 10 years ago. Yeah, so, so every 10 so, years yeah. I try to make it to your show. Yeah, every 10 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. Um, and another thing, so I've loved, because um, your work, I remember at the Academy, um, was so different than anything I'd seen. And it was so beautiful. And so seeing your work evolve throughout, God, has it been 10 years, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been amazing to see how you've evolved from, I remember those early, I mean, I still think about the the still life you did with a single, uh, like tangerine or an orange, not a tangerine, I'm sorry, like yeah, clementine, the onion? and then the onion, oh, okay. the onion was beautiful. But then you transitioned into the cityscapes, which were really, really gorgeous. But then I feel like um, there's been, I mean, you're always evolving, I feel, from my point of view. Um, compositionally and somewhat stylistically, but more so, I feel like your surfaces have changed quite a bit. Why? What came about with that? How did that come about? Not, um, I guess, to be honest, like really not liking painting anymore. Um, I think that, I mean, you know, I was working, but I'll explain okay. it. It really makes sense. <laughs> so I was working in a way that allowed it didn't even allow for one really mistake on the surface. Mm -hmm. Like that cityscape series and that still life series, it taught me a lot about like who I am as a painter and how I need to focus and what I'm really interested in. Basically I'm interested in shapes, mm -hmm. you know, I guess you put it in like the most simple way. I have a lot more interest in that now, but like at that point I'm like, okay, I'm interested in like, Shapes and tonal relationships. Oh, and composition. Mm -hmm. um, so those canvases, like I would, I would spend probably a week figuring out my cityscape idea. Right. So when we were in San Francisco, I would spend a week figuring out the composition. Wow. I would then take that composition um, and strictly adhere to it on a canvas that I stretched myself because it had to be like 11 inches by 21 inches. And sometimes it was off a half inch and that would really upset me. Um, so I, just, like, <laughs> I love that. Like, I just was, love yeah, that. Yeah. Like very, very upsetting things were happening in North beach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So then I would proceed, then I would execute that idea. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I had that idea. I would then draw it onto this uh, canvas that I stretched and primed myself. And it so had to be, oh, also a certain grain linen. Otherwise, I was, I just, it, it was so over the wow. top. Wow. Would you like it more smooth? What was your, your linen of choice? I, I don't even know what, like, it was just, it just was. It, just it was yeah. a certain okay. kind of linen. Yeah. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't rough. It wasn't coarse. It was kind of medium. It was very it just was, it was <laughs> perfect. It was perfect. And I could only do paintings on this one kind of yeah. linen. And so, okay. And then I would, um, and then I would paint the painting. And if one little mark was off, the painting didn't work. Wow. Like 
those paintings required like absolute precision. And I felt like, okay, like I figured a lot out. I did a series that I liked. But to continue painting that way with no experimentation allowed, no spontaneity, um, I I couldn't continue that way. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, at some point I felt like I didn't want to work anymore. I couldn't grow. And I also, that was the first body of work I had ever produced. And and I didn't want that to be it. So like I needed, I needed to totally change. And I never felt like I had the confidence to like just put down marks and like kind of like build up the uh, the surface of a painting and then figure it all out from there. Like I was always working from I was always working in a pr- very linear process. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I don't. Right? So like now I might just start a painting and just see what happens. Sometimes I'll think about it. I'll plan once in a while. I might do some kind of prelimin- preliminary study, but usually I don't anymore. So it's become like I've reversed my process um, and I actually try to ruin things as I'm going. It's like I'm just like trying to make up for that time. What brought this? How did you? How did you make that? Like, because I, I can imagine. Because um, I've had different things that I've had to break too in my routine, and and mm-hmm. it's some of them are really really difficult to do. How did you go yeah. about doing that? I mean, in in terms of like, was it? Did you change who you were looking at? Did you study with somebody different? Did you start painting with your yeah. left hand? <laughs> Everybody has their way of breaking a certain habit. I Oh, totally. Like, it was hard. Yeah. Like, I just, like, was not willing to dive off the cliff. Like, I, I don't know what it is. And I I had this conversation with so many painters. They're like, I just, I can't ruin it. Like, but, like, you're not, like, we're not ruining our painting. We're just changing it. And you can make another one if that doesn't work out. There's, like, something about... There's some incredible fear people have about ruining the surface of their painting. Yeah, when it becomes too precious. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And they feel like they need to have control at every moment of the painting process. Mm -hmm. They never want to deal with an ugly painting. They never want to see something that looks bad. And you just have to, you know, you have to make a, you have to go through either ugly stages in your painting or make a lot of bad paintings. Yeah. They, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because that reminds me of, you know, there's, a, there's always a handful of things you've taken away from like great teachers. And yeah. what the one thing I really took away from Tamutsu uh, mm-hmm. is he would always say, embrace the ugly stage. Cause I have a lot of anxiety. Oh, that. And he's yeah. always coming, embrace the ugly stage, embrace the ugly stage. Yeah. And you're, you're yeah. right. And it is that there's a uh-huh. certain anxiety that can happen. When that becomes too mm-hmm. precious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh. And kind of a metaphor to life too, you know? Um, yeah. Just a little bit. Like, yeah. Just a little. <laughs> like just now. now. Yeah. I was going to say, it's very topical. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I sought out teachers. Mm-hmm. So the Jerusalem Studio School was the first one, but I was only with them because like the way they were working with edges, I was like, oh my God. Beautiful. I need, how can I lose an edge? Like I wasn't even willing to lose information. I mean, a little bit, but you know, um, just like, so I studied with them for a month 
and that was also in the summer whenever they're also busy helping ever all these students and you don't get like I didn't get what I needed. I mean, really what I needed was to study with them in Israel for like a year. So, um, but I, but I was left with a lot to chew on, like lots of information, lots of ideas. Um, and I felt like things were starting to change for me a little bit after that month with the Jerusalem studio school in Italy. And then I started taking classes with John Redmond here in Philadelphia through the mm, Wayne Art Center. Okay. Um, so it just worked out so beautifully because I, you know, I teach there, then I could like take his class and his, um, he has this beautiful direct mark making approach. Um, and that was, it was perfect because I started to like, you know, started to shift a little after Italy. And then I was studying with John and he's really all about um, making a mess, digging your, your way out, which was completely counterintuitive for me. So he was really instrumental. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, a, it's so crazy how difficult that can be. That mm-hmm. that I did because I I've and actually now it's um the thing that's freed me up a little bit just personally is uh I've been doing a lot of digital work because I got into mm-hmm. that same habit here of I don't know what it was I just became so precious about things again and I was afraid mm-hmm. to ruin things and I kept trying different mediums I'd paint with acrylic so I'm like oh it dries fast maybe that'll lessen the yep. anxiety and it but it didn't help no, the acrylics. No. nothing helped yeah. it, it it I found I think it, it's just the medium itself I don't want to deal with paint right now. And digital yeah. has helped me free up because I can just, you know, command Z it and it goes away and that allevi- mm-hmm. alleviates that anxiety. But it, I mean, it sounds so insane to try and explain that to somebody at this colored mud on a piece of canvas. You're like, I, it's too precious. I don't want to mess yeah. with it too much. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like terrifying. Yeah. And has yeah. your process become, I mean, I don't know if it was before, but when I look at um, some of the, like the florals that you're doing, which are really beautiful by the way they're so amazing thank you um but it looks like you've actually become reductive too are you doing like removing paint scraping i don't recall Mm -hmm. seeing that much in your process before but maybe i'm wrong Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah i remove a lot Mm -hmm. i remove a lot like whether it's like scraping it down or using a brayer um sanding it down yeah Mm -hmm. is that more for i guess you would say like the vocabulary of texture is it for textural? I don't like saying effects because that seems gimmicky, but I mean, there's yeah. a myriad of reasons why people do that. What mm-hmm. is it for you? I think for me, it helps me to lose the information. Like oh, okay. it just helps me to create kind of a ghosted down uh, uh, image and uh, bring it changes it really quickly, um, shifts the image a lot. So it keeps me from getting tight. Oh, okay, okay. And then like, say I work on a painting, I let it dry, can sand it down. Um, and then I'm less likely to just paint over the same darn edges over and over again, or just keep on adding to the same area because there's so much more work to do then. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I might do is just like glaze, like just like paint over a whole entire image and then let it dry. And then coming back onto it that way helps too. Mm-hmm. So... I have a big problem to solve each time I go in. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. So that, because one thing I did really want to ask you is, um, and you, I guess you've answered it, is how much of your process now is planned versus unplanned? What would you say is like a, right. a rough percentage? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always, I okay, I always think about my compositions. Uh-huh. So that's always something that I'm kind of planning. 
I'm looking at a, a still life setup or I'm outdoors painting and I'm like really focused on the shapes. So I plan, it's premeditated to that extent, but then I allow things to change once I'm painting it too. Like I like that's something I didn't used to be willing to do. Like um so even if I like once I start painting something, um I may realize that my composition composition idea isn't working after all and I change it. Um but I won't belabor that initial process too much because now I have a lot more confidence mm -hmm. to change like a wet painting or a painting like, you know, a couple weeks into it. I'll be willing to just paint over something completely and change it. So, yeah, like I'm still a planner to a certain extent, but not neurotically so. <laughs> yeah, you've lost <laughs> a lot of That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ever, I know last time we talked, um, we talked a bit about Mirandi. Did you ever uh, track down that documentary? I found it online and then I didn't order it. It's like, oh, you know, I don't I know, I don't know yeah. what it is. Like I, I just, yeah. So I found it. I know where it is. So are they still available? Do you know? Uh, I haven't checked since the Corona outbreak. So I'm not even bothering because at least here, um, I can't even, or most of the mail doesn't arrive the way they're doing it in Paris as they gave each post, uh, the option you can close if you want to. So all the ones in our decimal, no mail. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very open how they do things here. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm not even going to bother right now. I'm not looking to buy anything. So I'll have to wait. Yeah. It's such a great word, arrondissement. I know. I love it. I, I butcher so it, good. but I love it. Yeah. It's better than saying yeah, like yeah. your neighborhood or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I was at the post office the other day um, and I was thinking, uh, you know, I don't know how long they're going to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, actually it was, uh, today that I was reading, there's a lot of talk about that, like what's going to happen They maybe cutting funding. So they might have to start closing, you know, uh, certain ones maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's scary, mm -hmm. but that brings mm -hmm. me back to, um, what I want to ask you about too, is your mm -hmm. thoughts on, like we we're talking in the very beginning, like the big debate or not debate, but discussions and debates I'm having with people here is, um, what do we think the future is going to look like? Like one, it's it's hard mm -hmm. to say, but how hard of an effect do you think this is going to have on, uh, I guess you could say the art world to generalize um, and, and galleries, museums, I mean, the whole thing. Yeah, I think it depends on a couple of factors, how long this lasts. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's going to be traumatized by this for a long, long time. I think people are going to be very fearful about how they interact with people. Um, so uh, it, say this were to continue for a long time. Um, I think some places are going to uh, obviously close. Um, yeah. And when you, some places, you mean probably galleries, museums. Yeah. Have to galleries, shut galleries yeah, for sure. Like yeah. the smaller places for sure. Uh, maybe not museums. Um, not just yet, at right. least. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and and I think one thing because I don't have the answer to this question at all, John. But I think one thing that I'm just wondering is during a time like this, is it going to make people appreciate arts more? Um, yeah. Like and to learn how essential they are to our sanity and humanity. Or are people going to go into survival mode too much and kind of ne 
neglect it and focus too much on just money. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I'm really curious about that. Mm-hmm. That's another talk that I've been having with friends here too. Is yeah, how's it gonna? I I don't know why. I'm generally pretty negative, but on that one, I'm actually very optimistic. I really do mm-hmm. think people are going to see the value just by gauging mm-hmm. how they are with. I mean, everything else you take away for a little bit. I've noticed a lot of people lamenting about the boredom of their life, you know, and then they see a nice picture. Like I've noticed like things like I use sometimes online for these like really silly barometers right now. And Mm -hmm. I notice a shift towards people wanting to see beautiful things. Obviously people want to be distracted now, but you have no idea. Mm -hmm. You don't have any opinions. I feel like there'll be a growing appreciation for it. That that's like my guess. Um, I feel like I've seen like so much online engagement on Instagram more so than ever. Um, oh yeah. They're having problems think, uh, uh, keeping like uh, the IG lives keep getting knocked off and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there's too uh-huh. many people on there now. There are too many people on yeah, there yeah. now. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, just the, I mean, the concert industry, like uh, the music industry, just terrible. I mean, it's just like, just like obliterated right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I feel like most of us don't realize how vast this is going to be. I mean, there's definitely going to be some kind of economic recession, but I mean, like you said, like, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about the concert industry. It's going to be huge. Think of the, we've been talking about the movie industry. Oh my God. Nobody's going to go to a theater after this. And they're already talking about releasing things on demand instead of in the theater. Um, Mm -hmm. When you say nobody's going to go to the theater after this, like, are you thinking like in three months or a year, or you think this is going to be something that our generation, uh, you know, worries about for the rest of our lives um, or the people living through this? That's a tough one. I I think. Okay, I'll, I'll judge it by by country <laughs> because I think America's <laughs> its very own special thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think like in most of Europe, you'll see, I think it's going to affect them permanently. My opinion. Mm-hmm. I think in America, you're going to see that divide. Like we see in everything. I think there's a majority that's going to be, you know, like just take theaters in general. Like, no, I'm not doing that anymore because mm-hmm. for various reasons, but then you're going to always, you know, you have that group of like, you know, fuck it, man. It's part of my freedom going to the theater and they're going to do it. Or they'll yeah. see it even is better now. Cause like barely anybody's going. Um, yeah. but I, mm-hmm. I feel like the, the majority will tilt towards people not going. I think, mm-hmm. I think they're going to really have to, because the theater movie theaters were dying anyways and cinema mm-hmm. was on its way out, but also like thinking about things like when you look at, um, take uh, like Disney, I mean, Disney's reach is huge. Yeah. So we, you got mm-hmm. Disneyland, you got the movies that they're doing, you know, they mm-hmm. own the two biggest franchises, the Marvel movies and star Wars. Mm-hmm. they're going to have to reevaluate their game plan. And I think that's going to affect um, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot more than people realize. Yeah. And then, like you said, then there's music. I mean, who's going to go to shows anymore? Who can afford to pay for it? What's, ah, I'm getting anxious just talking about this. It, you know, yeah. it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think really nobody knows. I mean, like, you know, for all we know, also this will come to a screeching halt and it will just be like this thing that came and went. And, um, don't know hopefully do you think (laughs) like mother mother nature rearing her ugly head and then just like disappearing it's possible yeah i don't know i mean the the plague lasts for a long time right like a few years but yeah 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 yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, okay, maybe I shouldn't start talking about it. I've spent way too much time looking on LiveLeak and stuff like that for videos, like things that are actually going on in China and Spain. And I'm personally not very optimistic about things. I wish that mm-hmm. it would stop very soon, but I think it's mm-hmm. going to drag on for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spend a lot of time hypothesizing about it for the first couple of weeks, and I'm just trying not to anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think like you, like I'm, I'm like you know, I look at the new, I look at all my news apps every day. I'll watch a bit of, of something, but I'm just like, I'm definitely like structuring myself so I don't spend a lot of time there. Um, I think right now we're in this like very that everything's very unknown. Like they don't even know where when it's going to peak and what those numbers are going to be. Yeah. So. And I've heard anything yeah. from everything from two weeks to next July, 2021. So are you serious? Yeah. But I mean, that's people just, know. you know, they're, they're just throwing numbers out their ass. They, yeah, Cause you're right. The, yeah. the true thing is nobody knows. Uh-huh. So yep. depends what you're basing yeah. your information on. Uh-huh. Um, um, so with regard to that and, and this, the shelter in place, and it's something we kind of talked on before, but um, what are you doing in terms of like, uh, however, because I, I found like here, like being confined in my flat, I've had to develop like, because we talked before, sorry, I'm all over the place. Because um, one thing I developed a love for was running recently. And I know you're an avid runner. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're trying to keep going during the confinement? Like, how important is that to your just overall sanity? So important. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. Totally clears my head. I've been running um, sometimes long runs, like, you know, five to eight miles. Um, today I'm hiking. Um, gosh, so much. Like, I think it's the one thing that will make me feel normal, like doing that and then being in my studio and teaching. Right. Cause I still have, I'm so lucky that I still work right now. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, our health is so important. I, I just think that I think people don't understand that with painters. I mean, yeah, you could totally be, a painter who drinks every night and can still get good sleep and get stoned during the day. But like, I've never been able to do that and feel good. Um, I don't know so, anybody like, who I'm can. Kind of, I mean, yeah, but like there's, you know, there's this like myth of the painter that yeah. they're like somehow like, you know, that they're unhealthy and maybe they used to be really unhealthy. I think it's becoming a little bit more, a little bit more common for me to hear painters starting to like admit to like exercising. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> actually like, yeah, yeah. not just yoga, but like, I'm actually like really, <laughs> really running or like, yeah, doing whatever um, races. Like I started doing races. Um, I think we had like talked about that before. Um, but yeah, I'm running. I'm trying to stay really healthy, um, get a lot of sleep. Um Cause that's like one thing that I can control. So like anything that I can have control over right now, yeah. I'm taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. It's a, it's a heavy component is the psychological game. So maintaining mm-hmm. a routine and finding control where you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was also listening to a Facebook live uh, interview uh, talk, this Philadelphia gallerist, Bridget Meyer. And she was saying, you know, like, this is also kind of a good time for painters who are normally just painting and painting and never spending any time on the business end mm-hmm. of things, like for people who don't have access to their studios, um, to do a lot of the nuts and bolts work, you know, right. to come up with like, you know, plans, marketing, you know, inventory, like, you know, just all that stuff that, you know, a lot of painters don't want to do. And she was talking about, uh, 
the uh, I, I guess it's I don't know that she had an example of an artist who spends I don't know eighty percent of his time um, on the business end of things and twenty percent painting. Whereas like you know someone like me, I you know when I have time to work on my art, I'm usually painting, and I do like I work on the business end just when I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was also like you know there's like different mindsets that you can adapt right that people can adapt right now. Mm-hmm. So have you put that into effect? Um, a little bit, <laughs> good, good. a little bit, actually. I, I mean, just like running my own, you know, just running my own online classes. Yeah. Like I just started like a four week long o- online class that will start next week. And like, you know, things like that. Like it's, it's so, it's a lot of work to like, again, once you make the decision to do it, to then execute it. And then, yeah. 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 But that is a really good advice. Cause I think too, the other thing coming out of it is in my opinion, what I see, and as much as I hate focusing on that, aspect of it too is when this does finally end um Mm -hmm. it's one of those things like there will be opportunity and the the ones that are prepared are going to be able to take advantage of those opportunities you Uh know because i think for me i mean i don't know how you feel but i feel there's going to be a heavier shift to online for a while after this and that could be really great for artists yeah i think it's gosh, it's so great that we have that. Like a lot of industries, they do not have that option. Um, So I think we're really actually well positioned. Um, Yeah, we can demo online, teach online, reach our audience online. Um, We can sell online. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing beats the real thing, unfortunately. Nothing beats the real (laughs) thing. You know, it's so, this, this, the irony of this whole thing happening too is right before it hit, it was literally like, I think like the day of or the day before, because I'd been so busy here. I planned on going to the Dorsey and going to the Louvre. Like I had this, like a couple days planned a museum visit. And, mm-hmm. and so that day I had it planned. I went out with a friend to have a drink and we're at a bar and all of a sudden everybody's like sighing and you know swearing. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like they just, they just announced a lockdown. We're shutting down Paris. Oh my gosh. And it was literally the next day I was going to start hitting the museums in because I, I hadn't so uh-huh. long. And I, if I, I don't know how you are, if I don't do that on a regular basis, I forget that direct connection that I feel is meant with painting. You can't experience mm-hmm. it any other way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or I mean, you can, but you're just getting a simulation of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Completely. And that would have been so nice to like have like on the day before where you could have gone to those museums just before the lockdown yeah, yeah. and had that, like, <laughs> you know, residual experience to hold with you for the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. But like, do you have any, are you, do you fear that they might not be open again for like months or? I I think so. So here, here's, here's my take. And I know this can sound mildly conspiratorial, which I Mm -hmm. don't, I'm not that type of person. I think things are going to be closed for a lot longer than we expect. Yeah. So I I can't say for how long, because at least in France, there's um, like, there was an article that leaked today about mm-hmm. how they haven't been counting numbers in nursing homes. And yeah. somebody was quoted as saying that when they do, they're going to realize that it's been a bloodbath in France. That was a direct mm-hmm. quote from somebody wow. working there. So, and mm-hmm. I know it's probably the same in the U.S. And there was an article um, that I saw, and these are all legitimate news sources. Um, mm-hmm. They were showing in China that um, the numbers that they've been showing are vastly off. Completely. That's what I heard. And I think that's 
so frightening. Yeah, and, uh-huh. and it makes sense because they were saying um, what they've uncovered here in France with some of the officials is they just they don't want people to panic. Mm-hmm. It's in our DNA to panic. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you know, we're not going to have access to museums for a while here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally, because it's in our DNA to survive yeah. and to, like, thrive, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah. it's unfortunate. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the one thing that I did get a lot of, I got tons of paper towels. Nice. I For have painting? so many paper. Yeah. <laughs> and then I looked online and nobody's buying the shop towels. Oh, okay. So that's your strategy? You know, there's like those blue yeah, yeah, shop blue towels. Well, that's what I'll get. Yeah. Those are the best and because they're, they're so favorite. absorbent. Oh, you don't like them? They are really. Yeah. Well, because they kind of stick to each other. They get like a little ah, sticky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're great. So anyway. You know, so you stocked up for the apocalypse. Hard. You're ready to paint. <laughs> yeah, I have like regular, like you know, Viva. You know, but I might, uh, I might be, I might be ordering the shop towel soon. I was um, <laughs> the episode that I did with Agnes Groholska. She brought up. I completely I forgot about that. It was when I was in school, and I don't know if you remember it, but um, it was when Richard Schmidt's video came out. And you remember Richard mm-hmm. Schmidt? You know him, the painter, oh, yeah, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. he used his Viva paper towels. I remember every student the next week had Viva paper towels. Oh, that's so funny. The stock in that just shot up from him alone. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about my expenses and I'm like, you know what? I like, I go through a lot of paper towels. That is definitely one of my expenses that I never considered a write off. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to not, I try to try to avoid like a lot of the technical questions, but since you brought that up, mm-hmm. cause I was interested, I brought it up with Amila or somehow we got into it and mm-hmm. I just expect everybody that went to the Academy to be, be very materials oriented, um, you know, with regards to the supplies, like, cause that's how I remember it. Like, you know, we'd joke around about the favorite brush, you know, what do you like filberts or this and that. And I was surprised mm-hmm. when Amelia told me he has no clue, like he just paints with whatever. Um, how are you with that? Do you have like your, your certain brushes that you like? I would echo Emilio's feelings. That blows I just, my mind. Yep. Whatever. Like I, I don't, yeah, I, I, okay. I don't order materials online. Uh-huh. I always go to the art store. Um, not only because it's like, I want to feel even the paint tubes. I like want to feel them. I want to feel the brushes, everything. Uh, I also want to, I like, you know, I want to support brick and mortar. Um, um, So I would say that I just kind of intuitively, like I used some bristle brushes, some Egberts. um, And then as far as like actual paints that I use, I stick with like a mid-grade paint, Mm -hmm. uh, like Gamblin, Winsor Newton. Um, and yeah, like I keep it really, really simple yeah. and I don't stress too much about it. I feel like it would overwhelm me if every painting I produced, I stressed about the quality of the materials I'm using. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I watched, um, it was very entertaining. Um, a student of mine told me about this demo. Um, someone was trying to replicate the process of de Kooning. Um, someone from the yeah. MoMA. Okay. Yeah. I'll send you the link. Yeah, please do. And like the, uh, apparently de Kooning would, would mix like varnish into his paint and like just mix whatever it took to like create this like super, super viscous paint and just 
layered on. And I think that a lot of people didn't, I think there was a long period of time where people didn't worry about the materials and the archival quality. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much from the 60s to the late 80s. Exactly. Uh-huh. Or even more so. Uh-huh. I remember seeing, um, was it, it was at SF MoMA. Um, mm-hmm. They had uh, one of Jenny Savile's paintings there. I forget the title, but it was one of the large figures where uh, um, she had painted white over a good portion of the body, just a solid white. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole thing was already cracking, and the painting was maybe five, six years old. So no yeah, yeah, all the white. Because oh, wow. I, I assumed it looked by the color that it might have been like a zinc, like a really faster drying, um, and it definitely, yep. you know, uh, or the unders dried faster than it. No wait, do I have that reversed? Yeah, because under, yeah, yeah. So it dried faster than the under. So when the under, yep. and it made it crack. Yep, yep. Yeah. The underpainting was too thick, or yeah, yeah it didn't do the fat over lean thing. I mean, I think about like things like fat over lean. Um, I but my layers are all pretty thin, so. I feel like it's just like kind of lean over lean and then with a couple thicker areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't, how about you? Do you worry about that? I don't, like, not at all. How, I don't worry no, about yeah. any of that. I do. I, yeah. I get a little particular with brushes. Um, I've kind of I've leaned up on that a little bit, but everything else, man, I don't care. I really yeah. don't. Uh, and maybe mm-hmm. that's terrible, but mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I want it to at least last. Like I, I'm not archival in the sense of like in a hundred years, it, you know, like those people that put test your alizarin, put it uh, strips in the window or anything like that. And that's great, man, if that's what you're into. But yeah, I just totally. like to get the painting done. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my mindset too. And I think that if there could be a little color shift over time, I don't know if it will be. I mean, will it be perceptible? I guess my biggest concern would be uh, cracking in my mm-hmm. work. You know, that would be my concern, like things actually falling off the surface, which I don't know. I don't think it will really happen with my paintings, but yeah. yeah. That reminds mm-hmm. me, this is so tangential, but um, I don't know if you've seen, have you been to Paris? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so you've yeah, been to the Louvre, of course. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. see, I think it was um, the El Grecos that they have that have a fungus on them. No kidding. Yeah. Uh-uh. So it was in the 90s when I can't remember what had happened. If there was, a, was it the heat wave or there was a flooding or something? But um, it was insane humidity over the summer because of some natural thing. And if I remember correctly, the rooms they were in weren't temper con- temperature controlled or something. I may be giving massive misinformation, but it was a misstep on their part. And uh-huh. it just so happened that in the umbers, there was some chemical that's really uh, reactive to to getting like a fungus in humid weather. Uh-huh. So they mm. all have this mold growing on the surfaces. And now they've even put a placard saying like, this painting isn't going to last more than, I think they say 20 years they're giving it. It's going to de- so fully damage they it. Can't, they can't remove no, because the it's it. it's their very, very low-key paintings where like 80% is in a dark umber. Oh, nothing no they can do. Yeah. So they're covered with a wow. mold of fungus. It's so because sad. I kind of that's really unfortunate. Yeah. Cause I think of like the um, museum archivist as like, you know, they can do anything. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's the limitation. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that's so interesting. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Or I'll try and find, I, I think it's El Greco. If I come across it again, I'll mm-hmm. send it to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but lastly, I, I, again, I don't really have these prepared questions, but something popped into my head the other night. I own these late nights mm-hmm. with the virus. 
And I was mm-hmm. thinking about um, if my life, like as a painter, is this what I expected it to be? And I thought that would be interesting to ask you. Mm-hmm. Your life now, like when you started on this, because I know your your journey is very long. Like you started as a teenager, right? When you went to uh, Myron School. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this the majority of your life. Did you have preconceptions? Yeah. And have they met? Or have they changed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so just about like painting and teaching. Um, so I ended up focusing so much on teaching. Like we've talked about this before, I think. Um, so I focused a lot of, on teaching as a way maybe to quell some of the anxiety that inevitably comes from just being a fine artist and focusing on that. So I don't know. I think I, one really like, I think surprising thing, positive thing that happened was, you know, just starting teaching and realizing like how much I love it. And um, so that I think has always been like uh, my stability uh, through everything. Um, and then as far as painting goes, um, I used to, I I think when people are young, they're like very black and white thinkers. I've become so open to what is good. What is painting? Like what is art making? Like, so my ideas have shifted so much. Um, but like producing work, gosh, I think one thing that I think is hard, I think just like the business end is very difficult for me. Um, I think I'm surprised and disappointed how much, how much we as painters have to maybe market ourselves, if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. Um, like I did not know that, you know, a long time ago. I think I was definitely a little bit more Pollyanna about, you know, how things go. It's just that my notions were more romantic. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that, that jumped in my head. I, and I think mine's been the same. I think it was definitely more romantic when I was younger. But. Yeah, and probably the same with the marketing thing too. But it was just an, an interesting, like a reevaluation of things, and then some things were, were hard to even predict, right? Because we couldn't predict the internet and social media back yeah. then. Yeah, I would say also like one really positive thing that I I've been thinking about maybe for the past year or so, um, being a painter, um, my exposure to culture, meeting people from all over the world. And I think a lot of that happened, maybe started with like the Academy of Art Italy program, right? Like going there for the summer and like how that opened me up to, well, a different way of making art and like interests outside of our country, you know, like, and Mm. then friendships outside of our country. And then like, um, I, I just have such a diverse I have such diverse friendships and I think that friendships, connections, I don't mean like networky connections. There's the no, people I know, I know like all over the world and the way I see the world now is so different as a result. Like I feel really connected um, even though like my actual pr- like life is kind of like my practice of art making is like so it's so 
like isolated, but I actually feel super connected. So, and I think that is so unique. Well, one, like being an artist, being a painter, then also I, I'm adventurous. So like, I always want to go places. I want to like, want to experience new things and make new friendships. Um, that's been a real positive. Like I would not have forecasted that, you know, I would not have thought that that's what my life was going to look like as a result of like following this path. Yeah. That's beautiful. I like that. Oh, thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> you just made me think, like, wow, yeah, I have those same things. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for doing this again. I think we should wrap oh, it up sure. now. Um, yeah, yeah. But I do want, I'm going to want to also link um, in the show notes, you're still accepting uh, students, like you're doing your directed study. Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. And I'm going to start to, I just started uh, my first online class that starts Wednesday, but I think I'm going to continue to run those too. So they're group classes. Okay. And um, where could people find that out? Like, yeah, I'll link it in the show notes, but just to say, is that through your website? I'm doing it through my website, like the main information, and then I'm doing little ads on Instagram too. But like the the the, the stable information, like I will have like that page under um, I think it says workshops and teaching. It's a tab. Okay. You know, a, a menu on the menu. Yeah. Okay. I'll mm-hmm. make sure to link all that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, that was an awesome conversation. Thanks. All you. right. Yeah. Well, be in touch. Will I'll do. let me know how things go on your end. Yeah, I will. Take care. Okay. Okay. Bye, John. Bye. Lo-Fi Sight and Sound Podcast is an American artist living in Paris, France, in conversation with artists, musicians, and filmmakers discussing context, the creative process, and studio practice. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also at www.lofipodcast.com. No hyphens. Please rate and review. It helps more than you know. If you can't rate and review, then please share this with a friend. Lo-Fi Podcast is recorded, mixed, and edited by myself. Intro music is also by me. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 